Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as recently with Dr. Nathan Rose. Raise the roof. Raising the roof. (laughs) (laughs) He is the lead pastor of Liberty Baptist Church in Liberty, Missouri, and a trustee of Midwestern Seminary. Are you a prof as well? Like you've been an I'm teaching a a class this semester. Okay, what are you teaching? Biblical theology. Whoa, and you said two episodes or four episodes ago that you're not a theologian. Mm. I am. You, a the- we, all, we are all theologians. We're all theologians. I understand that. Some of us are good, but you're not an academic. Like, and now you're you're doing you're teaching biblical theology. Correct. So, so like the oh, storyline yeah. of the Bible. Storyline of the Bible. Correct. That kind of theology. Yeah. You're you you seem shocked by that, Jared. <laughs> no, not that. It was actually. I can't I believe thinking, they would ask you I, to I, teach. I, I think maybe systematics. I'd be a little more shocked, but biblical theology. I, really? I get you. I feel like I gear. More, more like, towards yeah, because that's kind of how my brain works. I like to put things into categories. I'm just going by based on, on what you said. So, like the very first episode we did together, you were saying I got friends in high places. This is not Jared. where I want to be, and yeah, it's it's Sam Berig's, Dean Berig's class. Okay. He is finishing up his degree, and so it he's, he's, he's calling it in a favor. Really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like when uh, the Duke boys went on hiatus in Dukes of Hazard, and they brought in those scrubs. Oh, yeah, because I remember that. Everybody yeah. hated that, mm-hmm. yeah, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's one thing that we have in common. What's that? Uh, there's, well, like several things we have in common. But one big one is an affinity for Disney. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So My wife and I were talking about Disney last night. I bet you were. And I talk pl- about Disney trying, almost every day. Trying to plan a trip. And I was telling someone, the <laughs> like, you didn't even ask the question. Yeah. I just went off. Yeah. I was telling someone the other day that you were the first person to take me. I know, World. and I feel like I opened a Pandora's box. You did. You you have become maybe a you're probably a bigger fan of Disney than be. we are, and it was all because I took we went to Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was organizing a conference out there, and I thought he's never been to Disney World, so we got together with our, our mutual friend Caleb Brazier, yep. uh, who's a big Dis, uh, a Disney mm-hmm. aficionado who lives in the Orlando area, and we went to Disney World for your first time. Three grown men, if the, three, the three amig- <laughs> amig bros went to uh, Disney World together, and there were some awkward moments. Three grown men walking around Disney World. I didn't together. think any of it was awkward, Jerry. Yeah, there were some awkward it. moments that I like. You and Caleb were on certain rides yes. together. No, yeah. we have pictures of that. But we, we're not going to discuss that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a blast. So, and now you guys are big, you know, Disney nerds. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking about how you're going to get there. Like Becky and I are planning to go uh, to Disney World probably late this year. Um, my daughter's getting married in September, and we've sort of told ourselves that a, a reward for getting there past the wedding is we want to do a Disney cruise, do mm-hmm. the land and sea cruise where mm-hmm. you're on the cruise, and then you do the parks for three days or something. We have that. not done the cruise. Yeah. We want to. Yeah. We did it a long time ago before we even had kids um, with, with Beck's family. This would have been in 2000. And, and it was a blast. And I just thought, man, it'd be fun to do that, just the two of us. Mm-hmm. So we kind of, you know, have our own agenda and that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, what is it about Disney that kind of fires you up? So people hear that and they're like, oh, he's like really into the Disney stories. Yeah. And I mean, I think Disney knows yeah, Disney how to movies cra- are okay. They're okay. Yeah. They know how to craft a story, but yeah. I'm, that's not the reason. Yeah, me either. They, it's, someone put it like this. It's, it's like. It's like a Chick-fil-A amusement park, meaning they, <laughs> okay. they go yeah. above and beyond in every single aspect. There's, there's yeah. very—they pay careful attention to detail. They, they have, like, perfected the craft of keeping you engaged and entertained and keeping the, uh, yeah, the, the customer 
happy, I mm-hmm. guess it would be mm-hmm. the way to say it. They just they just do it in a wide variety of ways. And it's and it's just unique. So if you've been to an amusement park, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. This is not an amusement park. It's an experience. Mm. You should be on the board, like a marketing I could board. Yeah. Like an evangelist for <laughs> Yeah. For me it's partly that. I, I certainly enjoy that and benefit from that. Qu- quick question. Do yeah. you have any, like, did you go as a kid? Did you have nostalgia? Yes. Because well, I, I did But I was not a little kid. Okay. I was like a, a tween. I was probably like 12 or 13 Ooh. maybe when I went for the first time. And I don't actually have a whole lot of memories from that trip, to be honest with you, but some little memories here and there. For me, what kicked in was, and I went one more time to one of the parks as a senior in high school with, with uh, our senior trip. Uh, we went for one day, and I kind of remember that as well. But we went on our honeymoon for a whole week, and that, I think, is what really kind of okay. – So there is nostalgia, and there is kind of the childlike wonder of it. Um, but that's what it is for me. It's sort of like it's just transporting. So I do appreciate, mm. you know, obviously the excellence they bring to everything and the attention to detail. You're looking at Correct. the windows on Main Street and the, the way they just think through every single thing. I do love that, but for me, it's just more of like it's a it's a just it feels magical, it, it feels does. different, yep. and and there is sort of the nostalgia factor, even for things that I didn't see, you know, even things that took place like you know in the '60s, right? So like Carousel of Progress yeah. and things that were designed for like the World's <laughs> Fair in 1960, whatever. That's before my time, but it just feels like it's just transporting for me. Yeah. It just has a nostalgic factor to it. There's somebody listening right now that's sort of you know thinking like, gosh, the SBC boycotted right. Disney; they're satanic company, which is a good transition to what we want to talk about Well today. done. I was going to say, this is going to be a hard <laughs> shift, but you, you, you managed no, that well. No, if you believe that, that the Disney, you know, Disney World is, is a satanic mm. kingdom, this is, a, this is your episode. This is it. We're talking about Satan and spiritual warfare. You actually did your dissertation on Spurgeon's demonology, yes, correct. or his view this of Satan. Correct. The yeah. Prince of Preachers on the Prince of Darkness. Is that the, the category that we would use, demonology, or what, is there uh, another yeah, the, one? Diabology is like the diabology. official I've never heard that. academic term, but demonology is fun. That's amazing, mm-hmm. diabology. I like it's that. It's fun, right? It's fun to say. Yes. Yeah, I wrote a book of the gospel according to Satan. I wish that I had used diabology mm. as part of that as part of that book. So tell me about the the dissertation, first of all. Which, by the way, if there's any editors listening or publishers, you're interested in maybe turning this into a book. I'm trying. I think it's. I think it would sell and be helpful for a, a lay level. Working title: Prince of Preachers on the, the Prince, Prince of Darkness. On the Prince of Darkness. Mm-hmm. It's a great title. You'd buy that, wouldn't you? Jared? I would buy it. Yeah. yeah, and not just because I know you. Um, yeah, but because I, I, so I would, I would you buy were it. actually the one that gave me confidence that this would actually be a good book. So mm-hmm. when I told you first about my dissertation topic, yeah, you paused, you looked up, and you went. That'd make a good book. Yeah. And you don't say that about everything. No. Well, and especially um, because there's so much on Spurgeon, but there's just not specifics on what his view of this and that and the other thing. That's a huge gap. Correct. But this particular subject is just really compelling, Yeah, I think. Um, before we dig into, I just think, um, how the evangelical church or even the Southern Baptist Church, I guess, um, talks about or deals with or you know speaks to the issue of uh, diabology or demonology— what were some of the high points of Spurgeon? Like, what were the you know bullet points of Charles Spurgeon and his approach to Satan and and um, and, and spiritual warfare? So yeah, he he believed in the devil, of course, a lot. Okay, um, he preached on him a lot. That was probably the first thing that I noticed. Oh, interesting. Okay, was like he mentioned him frequently. And you think you know, I mean, I don't have any way to measure this, but you think about where evangelical preachers are at now. 
and how much he gets mentioned. Uh, or I how think, little. Or how, yeah. Yeah, how yeah. little he gets mentioned uh, in comparison, especially to Spurgeon. I mean, there's just it's, it's, there's a giant gap there. And hmm. so, so he preached on him a lot because he thought he was real, thought he was smart. You know, he believed everything that 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 we would believe primarily that you would read in like a systematic, you know, theology. So he was a fallen being. He was a created being. He was supernaturally intelligent. He was incredibly. He wasn't. He wasn't omnipresent, right? Because he's a created being. Yeah. Uh, but he's really active, like almost to the point because he has all these these fallen angels that work for him. Almost to the point where it feels or it seems like he's he's omnipresent. Um, he's incredibly powerful. We don't want to estimate underestimate him, but we also don't want to be too fearful of him. We want to be aware of how he works. Um, and so he talks a lot about just sort of his tactics. And then, of course, he believed in Christus Victor, that Jesus defeated him um, on the cross and then ultimately will defeat him when he returns. That's excellent. Um, I grew up in a church culture that I think spent an inordinate amount of time focusing on the works of the devil, the person of the devil and the works of the devil. Um, and it's not because, and um, I'll say this, um, I, when I say it's an inordinate amount of time, it's not because I disbelieve in the reality of a personal devil, and it's not because I think it's unimportant to think about the person of the devil and the work of the devil, but it was really an unhealthy focus, a, a fear-based approach. So heightening the danger and lessening the victory, not only that Christ has, but that we can have through Christ. And so early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, into the mid-80s, um, everything was demonic. Yeah. Um, you know, Halloween was taken away. Um, and He-Man. And, and, yeah, toys, Smurfs, mm. He-Man, uh, Care Bears, mm. Rainbow Bright. Um, yeah, anything that smacked of supernaturality um, was seen as not just— uh, uh, you know, competition with Christianity, but actually a, a demonic threat. And we had, you know, figures like Mike Warnke, who, you know, later discredited, um, but others who, uh, Hal Lindsey, late great planet Earth and Devil's uh, Alive and Well on Planet Earth or whatever it's called. Um, th that kind of literature later, um, uh, This Present Darkness from Frank Peretti, uh, the 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 stellar work of Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> I do know. I do know. <laughs> you know, that. You know I'm, Carmen. I'm aware of that song too. Yeah, yes. Devil Bite the Dust. That's right. And, and anyway, all of this, you just put this into the blender, into the gumbo of American evangelicalism in the early to mid 80s. And we have a recipe of, I think, an, an unhealthy focus on diabology yeah. and um, to the extent of creating a fear-based culture yeah. for evangelicals, especially younger evangelicals, uh, and that related to all sorts of things. But I think the pendulum has swung the other way now. Yes. So I think of—you've um, probably read a screw tape letter. I think Certainly. it's in the beginning of Screwtape yeah. Letters in an introduction where um, C.S. Lewis talks about that there's two opposite errors that we can have when it comes to the devil and his work. One is that we focus on it too much or become obsessed with it, and the other is that we— don't think about it at all, right? Those yeah. are two opposite areas. And I, th I feel like that's where we have gone. Yeah. Do you, you know, you mentioned we don't, min you know, we mentioned it too little, you know, or not as much as Spurgeon did, of course. Uh, why do you think that is? Why do you think we don't talk about the devil? I think for the reasons that you mentioned, I think okay. the pendulum has swung. However, so it's a reactive. I, it, it is of, reactive. Okay. I also think that we are very much influenced by our culture. Yeah. And our culture is very secular. 
And so we as Christians, even though we affirm the supernatural realm, we are functional secularists. And so we've been influenced in such a way so as to to reason everything away. And we just, to to believe in the devil makes us feel, uh, or to even talk about it is is almost like, oh, wait, are you one of those weird people that fixate on them? And so we don't want to be perceived yeah. as that. We want to be much more like the culture. And so I, I think I think that's part of it. It's just a heavy influence of, of yeah, just the, the worldview surrounding us. I wonder if um, the reason our culture, so when I think about, you know, the wider culture, where there's, you can find sort of a tacit acknowledgement of the possibility of the, re, of the existence of God. So even among non-Christians, mm-hmm. There may be people who are like, oh, yeah, maybe there's a higher power, big man upstairs, you know, whatever it is. The idea of God lays a little more heavily on Certainly. on our cultural reality, right? So I'm not saying it's, a, you know, they have saving faith or anything, or I'm not a universalist or anything. But anyway, the idea of God is more, I guess, acceptable. The idea of a personal devil, I think less so, and I wonder about that a lot. I'm wondering about this, like, coming out of 9-11 and just other things where, where people were wrestling again with the problem of evil, yeah. where they don't think evil. Um, I think if you ask the average non-Christian just off the street, where does evil come from? Well, first of all, does evil exist? I think most would say yes. Maybe some would say no. You know, They would acknowledge there are things that are wrong. You know, you, you kill somebody or whatever, that's wrong. Where does it come from? I think they would say we're trained for that or yeah. it comes from the environment we're, or something. We're taught that. Yeah. And I think where you would have um, – I, I think you'd have more people who would say, yes, I believe a God exists or, the, or a God may exist than you would somebody who would believe that the devil exists. Certainly. And I, I don't know why that is except that we want – it's almost a depersonalization of evil. If we can make yeah. – e- if, we, if we can deny the devil, then we're denying a personal evil, which means – I can deny that I am evil in some way, that it's just a mm. force out there. It's yeah. something, it's in the environment, but it's not personal. Yeah. I think it's every time somebody says, I, I, you know, I believe people are inherently good, you know, or that we're, we're made good and yeah. it's the circumstances that make us evil yeah. or something like that, you know. Yeah, I would also attribute it to, I think this is part of Satan's strategy, right? Mm. He has two distinct strategies in a culture okay. like ours. He tempts us to ignore them so that he can go about his work undetected. And then in other cultures, like cultures overseas, um, yeah, he, he tempts, uh, he showcases his power more readily uh, so as to, to terrorize and to fear people, to, to cause people to be afraid. And so, um, yeah, I think everything that you said is true, but I also think, I think Satan is continually like sort of uh, pouring that poison yeah. into our water so that we we drink it. Like, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with you guys thinking that I'm not real. Like, this is actually really, it makes it my job easier. Yeah. So a, a gorilla, gorilla tactic of sorts. Um, what is he doing mainly? Because, you know, we would believe that um, those who are justified by faith, uh, by grace received through their faith, they're justified by faith in Christ alone, they are eternally secure, mm-hmm. united to Christ, um, irrevocably. So the devil can't steal our salvation. Correct. At least he can't steal the salvation of the elect. Um, what is he trying to do then? What does he want to do to the Christian? Well, what he's trying to do is, one, he's trying to, to destroy us. 
tempt us, accuse us, and deceive us. Okay. Those are kind of the four, as I've thought about it, those are kind of the four categories, right? He's a destroyer. Jesus said he's a murderer mm. from the beginning. Uh, he's an accuser. He accuses us, right? He, If you have salvation, he does not want you to be happy in your salvation. And so he can, he can accuse you to try to convince you that uh, actually there is condemnation for you when, in fact, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. Yeah, he tempts us. He wants us to sin. So first he tempts us, and then after we give in to sin, he becomes the accuser, um, and then he also deceives us. So so he wants Christians in the church to be weak so that the church can't do what it's been called to do, glorify God by being and making disciples. The the end goal, as I, I see it, is it, isn't it to make little of Jesus? It's yes, to correct. That, because if he can't steal your salvation, he can at least make Jesus look little in your life. Correct. Or to those outside. That you would be an ineffective, you. Yeah. you know, missionary or an, 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 an ineffective or a, a soiled witness um, to the glory of God as well. Let's talk about just sort of the practicalities, or I don't know if practicality is the word, but the powers, I guess, of, of the devil. What can he do and not do? So this ah, is a question. question. Um, not too long ago, I had a fellow on the podcast who wrote a book about um, exorcisms and things like that. His uh, As a journalist, as a Christian journalist investigating those things. Can the devil or can demons possess a Christian? What we think of as possession. What What do we think of when we say that's <laughs> a loaded term? Yeah, well, I don't I, love I think, the term possession. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know exactly what all would be entailed. I think the uh, what is envisioned, what we see in scriptures, for instance, is the overtaking of someone's yeah. autonomy, uh, almost an indwelling, yeah. Yeah. a spiritual yeah. indwelling of yeah. of someone. Where um, they are now controlled in yeah, some way. I don't think he can do that of believers. Because the whole, why? Because yeah, the Holy Spirit has dwelled there? Yeah, exactly. He who okay. is in you is stronger than he who is okay. in the world. I tend to agree. Yeah. Okay. But, but I do what think, can they do? I think that he can possess people who are not Christians, mm-hmm. as you see in Scripture. Spurgeon didn't believe that. Oh, he didn't believe he that? He did not. Uh, J.I. Packer doesn't believe that. So oh, it's actually they, they think that it was limited. Those possessions were limited to to Jesus and the apostles' ministry. Oh, so, so they would say it happened in Scripture. Correct. They're absolutely. Not denying that. No, okay, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. But nowadays, it doesn't happen. It doesn't occur. Oh, interesting. Which I don't agree with because I've talked to several yeah. missionaries that would Me too. have evidence to the contrary. What do they think is happening? I don't know. Oh. Maybe they just. Don't know any ministry, missionaries. <laughs> that can't be true. I, probably not. But I don't. I have no idea. Maybe they just you know ascribe it to mental illness Mil- or yeah. something else. I don't know. Okay. Okay. So they can oppress Christians. Correct. Um, what is the devil thinking through? Uh, let's, let's try to get inside the infernal mind of the devil here, um, because the devil is not omnipresent. Correct. What's on his org chart? What's on his to do list? He wakes up in the morning. He's not thinking about you and me. At least not probably specifically. Not, probably not him not. specifically. Right, right, exactly. Um, We're not what is that he, important, Jerry. <laughs> no, well, may, you know, may <laughs> on some days maybe. Uh, not today. But in general, like, what is he thinking? My number one thing to do. I don't know. I, he probably doesn't sleep. But I don't know. In, in other words, let's assume so this he's is getting where, up in the morning. You know, and, and I, I, I had a friend who say, we got to get up before the devil. Yeah. And then the devil gets up at 5 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think he sleeps. He doesn't sleep. He's an angelic being. So this is where we just want to be really careful and not, and again, I appreciate the question, but not venture into trying to answer questions that the Bible doesn't speak to. Sure. So what does the devil think about at five in the morning when he wakes up? <laughs> I don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell me. And so yeah. just wanting to, 
to be tethered to Scripture. I do have a counter question. Okay. So we don't know what's in the devil's mind. Yeah. Does the devil know what's in ours? Can he um, read our I, minds? I do not think so. Okay, because I, I think I that's an aspect you. of omniscience. I agree. Um, I think he can have a heightened sense of perception in the sense that like a good magician or maybe somebody yeah. who has and he can yeah supernatural either, either demonic or otherwise can be able to pick up on disposition cues yeah. whatever can um maybe be more accurate about yeah, yeah. what's in he our can, minds he can certainly see people when they're alone yeah right he has sort of access to information that we don't exactly yeah i, I agree with you um i would get that from daniel chapter 2 so you remember okay. nebuchadnezzar has a dream uh, he he says, "Hey, I need someone to interpret this dream for me, yeah. but I'm not going to tell anybody yeah, what, tell this, what the dream this dream is. is." And Daniel answered the king, "No wise man, no medium, no magician, or no diviner. Right? These are people who consult demonic powers." He says, "None of these are able to make known to the king the mystery he is asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries." Hmm. So I think the devil's knowledge of us is limited in our out- outward actions, um, though. You know, Satan and his demons can see us while we're alone, which is a really creepy thought when you think yeah, about it. Yeah. Like when you're in, in the shower, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or just by yeah. yourself. Like he I can don't see even you think when the you're alone. Want to see that? <laughs> <laughs> even they have yeah. limitations. Even they have a limitation. <laughs> yeah. It's a safe uh, space. But I don't think he can tell what's in our minds. Okay, okay. So if you if you're gonna rebuke the devil, mm. you gotta do it out loud. Why not? He can't. He can't hear you. Well, your thoughts. He I mean, ESP. I don't think. I I think you can pray to the Lord though, right? <laughs> and He can hear you. Okay, uh, let's talk about that. The victory okay. that the Christian has mm. o- over the devil, uh, and and over the demonic world. How does that? I think in a normative way, it doesn't play out with a hyper focus on on demons. I think it it plays out with a reality, uh, with acknowledgement of the reality of them that we have an awareness that they yep. exist. But not a hyper focus on them. No, we're so not walk, ignorant of their schemes either. Right? right. So to walk in victory over the spiritual forces of darkness isn't to be overly obsessed with the spiritual no, forces of darkness, but actually to walk in the light and to be overly obsessed, perhaps you could say, with the things of the Lord, certainly, and, um, and virtues and making war on our yeah. sin and those sorts of things. But what would it look like to have a conscious, uh, I guess, addressing of of the demonic world? Yeah. I think one of the things we need to do is reclaim the doctrine of Christus Victor. Okay. That scares us because it sounds very Catholic. It sounds like, oh, Jesus' death bought us back from the devil. And that's that's not what I right, mean right. or what we mean. But you think about it. When we talk about all these doctrines related to the, our salvation, we, we think of propitiation. We think of expiation. We think of justification. We think of adoption. We think of reconciliation. But we don't really ever think about the doctrine of Christus Victor. Which is interesting because the very first gospel promise that we see in Genesis 3 mm-hmm. is what? That, that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to crush, crush the head of the, the serpent. serpent. Yeah. And so that's the very first gospel promise issued to us in Scripture, but we don't ever talk about it. We don't mm. ever think about it. And so, so I think to answer the question is, I think, one, to, to get to a place where we are comfortable recognizing and discussing the, the reality of the devil, but then also recognizing how and when— uh, Jesus defeated him, which is ultimately through his cross and resurrection, and then finally when he comes back to consummate his kingdom. And because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and because of the the purchase of us by the blood of Christ, we have, in essence, a kind of dominion 
yes, yes over the Absolutely. over the spiritual world, not because of our greatness, but because of Christ's greatness and the power of the Spirit. Therefore, we have the power to rebuke, yes, the demon, um, you know, the devil and demonic forces. We have the power to repent of Correct. our sin mm-hmm. um, and to walk in in a in I, don't know, I was about to say in a kind of victory, but to walk in victory certainly to um, overcome his accusations. Yes. We don't have to walk in condemnation or think that we're condemned. Yeah. We don't have to listen to his lies. Yeah. It's good to know. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> I mean, this is what we're doing, right, yeah. for our people every Sunday. I, I feel like every Sunday, like my biggest one of my biggest uh, objectives is people are walking in, they're really discouraged, they've been beat up by the world. If they're a Christian, they're most of them are just feeling like they're a big loser. Yeah, they're they're swimming in a sea of accusation. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. And so, how how do we sort of get them out of those waters? And that's through the gospel. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the devil? How much time we got? Oh, we, we got, got a few got, minutes. Well, I have an much time I have an outstanding um, sermon, a Spurgeon quote that I'd love to. Okay. That might let's close it, with let's that. close with that. It yeah. is related to what we were just discussing. Okay. So um, he's explaining how to fight against the accuser and how to discern the difference between the voice of the spirit and the whispers of the evil one. Okay. So he'll come in and he'll, he'll, he'll suggest things to us. And because we can be deceived and forget the gospel, we might think, oh, that's God speaking to me. That's the spirit speaking to me. And he's like, how do you know the difference? Yeah. Well, this is how you know the difference. Okay. In the first place— you may all be always sure that which comes from the devil will make you look at yourselves and not at Christ. The Holy Spirit's work is to turn your eyes from your, ourselves to Jesus Christ. But the enemy's work is the very opposite. Nine out of the ten insinuations of the devil have to do with ourselves. You are guilty, says the devil, that is self. You have not faith, that is self. You do not repent enough, that is self. You have got such a wavering hold of Christ. That is self. You have none of the joy of the Spirit and therefore cannot be one of His. That is self. Thus the devil begins picking holes in us, whereas the Holy Spirit takes self entirely away and tells us that we are nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is all in all. Satan brings the carcass of self and pulls it about and and because that is corrupt, tells us that most assuredly we cannot be saved. But remember, sinner, it is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. Amen. Hey, it was a good conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Hopefully it was a, a blessing to those who hear the podcast. And if you do enjoy the podcast, let us listener, know. please let us know. Give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. This is my deal. I know. It's a little closing thing. But I told Jump you, in, I you am throw not, me completely off. I am not like Ronnie. <laughs> Come on, guys. We want to hear the feedback. This is like, okay. Yeah, actually, give us a good review. It's been a little while. Yeah. I've been looking at the reviews the last couple of weeks. Uh, you mm. guys don't want to hear your names, I guess. Yeah, we make no. fun of your names. I don't know what it is. Why My people... concern is that the the ratings— They're going to go down <laughs> now you're on here. And that the listens are going to drop dramatically. Yeah, that was my concern as well, yeah. but we'll see. Hey, we'll the Lord out. is good. Help me, guys. Help me! As, as podcasts wax and wane, the Lord never changes. That's right. Amen. <laughs> no shadow of turning. Uh, where was I? You, leave, you can leave us a good review <laughs> on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time. May Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.